Welcome to Meet Your Funeral Celebrant. My name is Tony Piper, and in each episode of this podcast, I'll be talking with a funeral celebrant. As well as getting to know them and exploring their approach to funerals, each guest will also share some useful tips. I hope this helps you find the right celebrant for you so you can create a good send-off. So let's begin. This episode, I'm delighted to be talking to Sue Williamson. Sue is based in Hartford, Cheshire, and has been a funeral celebrant since 2014. By way of interesting facts, Sue holds a National B racing license, as well as being a member of the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Hi, Sue. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Hello, Tony. Nice to talk to you. Why don't you fill in some of the gaps and tell us a bit more about you? Oh, well, uh, in terms of, of being a funeral celebrant or a little bit more about me generally? A bit more about you generally. Why not? Because okay. we're going to explore lots of things about you being a celebrant. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I have um, two grown-up children. Um, I am to be a granny later this year. Ooh, that's um, exciting. I'm sure I'm old enough to be a granny, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm told reliably that I am. Uh, so I have a grown-up daughter uh, who is expecting. I have a, a grown-up son. Um, they both live near to me. I've done a wide variety of work in my working life, from um, advertising and marketing through to being a qualified proofreader, which mm. does come in handy when writing ceremonies. Absolutely. Um, I have worked for a printing firm, so that's where the proofreading came in. Mm -hmm. And I've owned my own small hotel, so Gosh. I have had lots of contact with, with many different types of people over the years. Yeah. Um, and it was only in sort of 2013-14 that I felt there was need for a change. Mm. And like a lot of people, uh, I had attended a funeral that didn't quite fulfill the brief, I think. Oh. Uh, that led me to explore... Uh, changing career in my 50s. Right. So you were sat there in this funeral thinking, well, what were you thinking? Well, that it was a little sterile and okay. um, that it was a church funeral. And, mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, we're not one size fits all people. Sure. Uh, many people need the comfort of their faith and their church. Mm hmm. But I felt that at the time, the minister seemed more interested in dispatching the person from earth to heaven rather than what had gone on before. Oh. What was this person about? Okay. Yeah, and I think that happens quite often. It does. And, and, and you know, that, that's what we're there for, really, is to celebrate the life um, yes, you need to go through the period of grief, and there will always be a mourning period for people. But um, there needs to be uh, stories about the person. What were they like? What were their interests? What did they do in their lives? What are the, the funny and humorous and touching moments that people can really relate to, rather than just the doctrine of a prayer book, which right. doesn't suit everyone? Okay. Hmm. So just to rewind a bit, you were at this funeral and it was a bit sterile and they didn't celebrate the life in the way that you felt might be good to do. What happened next? Uh, well, I got to thinking 
that there must be a better way to do this. Right. Um, wasn't really sure at the time, so it was on the back burner for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then um, I broke my arm, was sitting in the fracture clinic at the local hospital and picked up um, one of the magazines that sort of lying around like you do. Mm-hmm. And there was an article um, entitled something like, don't tell me I can't change my career in my 50s, that kind of angle. Right. And came across an article by a fellow celebrant who I now know quite well, and I believe you have also covered on your podcast, the mm-hmm. lovely Judy Mansfield. Oh, lovely Judy, yeah. And uh, I read the article, and it sort of leapt off the page at me. Wow. I thought, uh, the more I read, the more I realized that this was the wonderful combination that was me wow. um, and so I contacted Judy who was incredibly helpful mm-hmm. and uh, off I went on my training wow mm, that's how it all happened gosh talk about an unlikely um unlikely situation isn't it if you're sitting in the well, fracture clinic <laughs> yes a very <laughs> unlikely setting but obviously one of those fate type moments that, yeah that you know is is there that combination of circumstances where i was sitting waiting that magazine was there i had time to find the article mm. um and obviously whipped out the the smartphone and took a picture of of said article mm. so so i didn't steal the magazine from the hospital um and then I contacted Judy and uh, and did some research as to what I what I felt was the best training organisation mm-hmm. out there for me. Yeah. Wow. It was so unlikely that it was going to happen that it was meant to happen, right? Yes, definitely one of those things. <laughs> one of those. So you've you've talked a little bit about you know what's important to you about being a funeral celebrant. Do you just want to expand on that a bit more? Yes, I think it's about not only providing support to the bereaved families, and I think you you really need to be of a certain age to be able to do that. I'm not sure that very young people could be a celebrant because I think you have to have had the life experiences yourself. Oh, okay. So it's more empathy as mm-hmm. well as sympathy. Yeah. But obviously... Um, provide you with greater understanding as to what they're going through uh-huh. um, so but it's also about providing the choice to them that there is a way they can tell the story they need the celebrant to be able to guide them through that process so a celebrant is more of a conduit if you like um, and helps them to channel their thoughts and you know you can come away from a family meeting with pages and pages of of quite sometimes hastily scribbled notes if you've got more than one person giving you information mm. and, and you you need to have the ability to to pull all their thoughts and stories together into a cohesive service right. so it's about the support and the guidance and the understanding uh, and helping them through mm. that's quite a good checklist <laughs> What do you love most about the job? Uh, it might sound a strange thing to say that you do get job satisfaction from being a celebrant, um, but it is that feeling at the end of a service that you did a good job for them, that mm. you uh, you um, told the person's life story, 
that you shared the lovely thoughts and feelings and emotions that you're given uh, from the family with the others there. And when you see the smiles and the nods and even the tears during the funeral service, you know that you got it right, even if it's hard for them. Yeah. It is a rite of passage that we all must deal with at some point in uh-huh. our lives. So just that, um, the reaction you get, the hugs you get afterwards, mm-hmm. thank you, you know, you did you did us really proud, you did a great service. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will remember you because many times families, when sadly they must deal with it again, come back to you as yes. a person yeah. to help them through. Mm-hmm. Very rewarding. Very. It is. Yes, it is. Yes. And do you wish that you started doing this earlier in your life, or is this the right time for you to be doing it? Uh, I think now is the right time, touching on what I said before about mm. not being old enough when you're in your 20s and 30s, really. Yeah. Um, Although many of us obviously experience loss and grief and difficult times during our 20s and 30s, Mm. um, as I did, as my own mother died quite young and I was only in my 30s. But I think you need um, a wide experience of life and a lot of experience in dealing with different types of people who will manage their grief in very different ways. And having the skills you acquire over the years, maybe in lots of different job roles, Mm. uh, in order to be able to ask the right questions. Um, Because often when you go into um, a person's or a family home, Mm -hmm. there may be many people there. And Mm. you think, oh gosh, you know, are they all going to talk at once? And yet you can have half a dozen, seven, eight people almost in in catatonic silence and they don't know what to say and they don't know what to, how to start. Yes. So the skill comes from getting them just to relax a little and to start talking to you. Mm. And you need a lot of life skill, I think, to be able to gauge how they are, what stage are they at, are they ready to talk, um, and, and gently get them to unwind and so that by the time you leave, sometimes they're all talking at once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that your most useful skill, do you think? Uh, I would say, yes, is tuning into people. Mm. Uh, and it's it's intuitive because you can gauge people quite quickly. I think when you've done lots of different types of jobs as I have and, and sort of understand people is, is often kind of reading between the lines and you pick up on things and you might ask a question that they'll say, oh, yes, that's it. And you've identified something they were trying to say yeah. by what they've not said. Yes. Yes. Listening for what's not being said. Yes. Yes. Mm. So, Sue, so- what makes a good funeral, in your opinion? Uh, I think enough time for the families to come up and do their own tributes or images mm. if they feel they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, having the right choices of music, 
and having the celebrant there to guide the process through they can be so different you can have funerals where the family really don't want to say anything they want you to take the whole process they want you to guide it all through and then you have others who have so much they want to include Mm. that you almost take a step back and just um orchestrate it if you like sure so in terms of a good funeral that's very much each one individually um Mm -hmm. a good funeral allows that time allows that choice and allows the person's life to be told their story to be told so it's quite difficult to to say what makes a good funeral um I think what you, it's probably easy to answer what makes a bad funeral. What makes a bad funeral? <laughs> uh, not enough um, time. So yeah. We are. We do have quite time, tight time constrictions sometimes. What, what's um, the typical um, time constraint in your part of the world? Well, it, it varies. I, I cover quite a, a wide number of areas and cre- therefore crematoria. Um, some of them are only 20 minute service. Gosh. Yes. And uh, some are 40, which is obviously much better. Um, 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yes. It's very difficult Ouch. to um, do justice, if you like, to a person their, their whole life within 20 minutes. So you have to be quite um, an expert in, in making sure that you get all they want to tell you within that time. Um, Even if it were just to acknowledge at a certain point that they will continue the stories at the reception. Oh, I was going to ask you about, you know, what are some, because when we walk into the funeral directors and they say, you know, this is the time and this is the place. I think a lot of us as bereaved people don't even think to ask how long have we got until a bit further down the track. And then by then it, it, sort of feels too late to sort of change things yes yes they're, 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 you're absolutely right because they're not aware obviously that this is a question they might need to ask yeah um, and i don't think it's it's often freely given that there mm. is a way around it people can book two time slots if you want to call them that yeah um, but you know not everybody has um, a huge budget for their funerals and yes. so sometimes they must accept that it's 20 minutes and then you need the skill to make sure that you include everything for them and, and it doesn't feel um, indecently hasty indecently hasty what a mm. yeah so you, you talked about doing something at the um, gathering afterwards yeah. Um, is that something you've done as a celebrant? Uh, it isn't something that I do. Um, I am, like I'm sure a lot of celebrants, frequently invited, but I usually um, gently decline mm. because it is about the family. But I do suggest that if we don't have time to include everything we would like to say during the service, I actually say that, mm. that we, we don't have the time available to us here today to uh, carry on with all these lovely stories and memories Mm. but i am sure that there will be opportunity for you to carry on with them when you meet later Mm. so that helps them around that yes gives them permission to do that yes yes yeah i was wondering if there's anything you can do as a celebrant to really help them 
continue to tell the stories? Uh, yes, uh, I, I, I always, obviously I stay until all the mourners have left yeah. um, at the chapel um, mm-hmm. and I will talk to each one of them as they come out and, and say, you know, that was a lovely story we touched on um, about Joe. Perhaps you could pick that up again when you get to you know, wherever it is they're going. Oh, uh, the, that's the really family nice. are very much in that frame of mind where they don't kind of want to let that go. So they mm. will they will continue afterwards. Oh, yeah. And for somebody who is there to hear from you that that was, you know, a valuable story and, you know, deserves, you know, to be shared even more. Yes, definitely. Um, I think yeah. is that's very empowering. Yes, Yes, it is. And, because they and wouldn't I, know. They say, oh, it's just a silly story about Nan. And it's like, well, actually, no, that was, yeah. that was a really important story about Nan. Yes, yes. And, and you need to encourage them to, to share it, even if it's not possible to do it at that moment. Yeah. Yes, that sounds, that sounds like a lovely thing to be doing at the gathering afterwards. Yes. Because, of course, what happens is that... You know, that's where a lot of the stories come out anyway, isn't it? Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, uh, and, do you remember the time that Nan did this, you know? Like, that's right. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Because, yeah. because it, you know, people's mindset naturally and understandably when attending an actual funeral service is one of, of sadness. And, mm. and, and because of the environment and because of the words and the feeling in that environment, they're very much focused on the loss yeah Uh, it's necessary for them to focus on the loss because it's all about helping them navigate their way through Mm. the grief and their feelings yeah there's work to be done yes um but it also helps to to try and lighten that feeling a little bit by having the humor if the family want to include it the sure. funny stories yeah but when they've got past that focused um time in the chapel and they are back amongst friends and family and the difficult the really difficult part of that day is done yeah then that's when they relax a bit more mm. and and the stories will continue and of course there are Stories from people who weren't in the room when you went to visit the family. Oh, yes, 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 many. Um, as I say, I've had as many as eight people um, and uh, as few as just one. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's an elderly gentleman or lady who lost their life partner and they literally are on their own. Yeah. So it goes from, from one end of the scale to the other. But there, there were, as you say, will always be people um, at the service who have not been part of the initial process of building the ceremony. Yes. So you've talked about what makes a good funeral and what makes a not-so-good funeral. Is there anything that you found that people worry about that they don't need to worry about? Uh, yes, um, the order of procession, um, mm. the timings, uh, who who operates the music, how does it work, um, do we have to close the curtains, mm-hmm. some people don't want to, can we leave a tribute on the casket, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, little, lots of little things all about the, the making sure the whole thing runs smoothly. So um, as I know all the crematory around here, I know how they operate. Some of them are the more old-fashioned type where everybody goes out the same door they went in. Mm-hmm. So timing is crucial because frequently you will have another funeral coming straight after. Mm-hmm. Um, the more modern ones uh, have a separate exit. So mm-hmm. we said it's it's fine. You just take your time. You're not going to meet other people coming in. Um, talk them through how the music works. Uh, 99% of the crematoria I work in have the Wesley system. Yeah. Uh, you know, the library of music. Yeah. So for anybody listening, this means that you can pretty much have any piece of music. Pretty much anything you want. If it's mm. really, really obscure, then families usually provide a CD. Yeah. But even if it's fairly obscure, the Wesley system is so wide ranging and they're adding to it all the time. Um, so I can virtually guarantee that, that any piece of music they want will be available to me at the touch of a button. And of course, I always arrive early so that I can check that the correct pieces of music mm. have been loaded from the Wesley catalogue and they're there in the right order. Yes, so they worry with... about all those sorts of things, sure. you know, about, about procession and curtains and because it's not right for everyone to have the curtains closed. Yeah, can we talk so, about the curtains? Because this is this is mm, the big one, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It, it's obviously hugely emotive. Yeah, um, and it's supposed some, to be. Yes, it is. Some people don't want that, though, yeah. because even though they are completely aware, of course, that this is a funeral service and it does signify the end of that person's life, the closing of the curtains is is too dramatic Mm. and too emotional and they ask for them to be left open until everyone's left the chapel. Um, That also allows people to go and place a symbolic item, maybe a flower or or something, Mm. um, onto the casket before they leave. Uh, So it's you know we're all different it's yeah. whether or not they want that that final signal of the curtains closing and they worry about what happens afterwards as well well you know when the curtains have shut what's happened what happens so i talk them through the process of, of what goes on if they want to know uh, is there anything that you can tell us about that now um yes indeed um I think what they worry about the most is that as soon as the curtains have closed, that the casket disappears and is wheeled off and not dealt with with any dignity, which is wholly untrue. Right. Um, there is a time of uh, allowing the respect for the deceased. So everybody leaves the chapel. Mm-hmm. The casket is then put onto um, the rolling trolley and it's taken away into the back. They also worry very much about um, a person being muddled up Um, and again they have such a strict uh, procedure in in the crematory that that is not possible yeah they think oh i'm going i'm going to get the wrong ashes it's they're going to you know put the wrong person in there Um, so they need to be reassured that there are very very strict guidelines and procedures so that that does not happen um and, you know, then generally the crematoria staff are, are hugely respectful 
and uh, I've met with most of them that you know where where I do services at, at the crematoria. Mm. I make sure I go along and I meet them first, and that they are lovely people. But they treat everyone with equal respect and and the dignity they deserve. That's reassuring to hear, mm. because as bereaved people, we don't necessarily want to, to know too much about what goes on. But yet there is that uncertainty yeah, about what has happened. Reassurance, yeah. isn't it? That it's not again going back to that um, uh, indecent haste, or mm. not being treated with respect, or or. Mm. Them, you know, their late father, brother, whoever it might be, being confused with somebody else. Yeah. Um, they need to be reassured that that does not happen. Mm. Well, thank you for reassuring us that that does not happen. <laughs> Just on the curtains thing, one thing that a, another celebrant said to me the other day that I, I thought was, was, was useful was that if you want to have the curtains open for as long as possible, of course, one thing that could happen is that right at the end, a family member, should they choose to, could be the person that closes the curtains when everybody's gone. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that they can, you know, they know for sure what's happened. Yes, yeah. And that's the last thing that they could do. Oh, yes, very much so. Um, if they see that as a symbolic way of, of their final goodbye, then there is no reason why not. And everybody does deal with this in, in different ways. Um, that, again, I think is the um, one of the advantages of choosing a celebrant in that they are so flexible in how uh, we approach the family, how we put the service together, and that we, it's not, it's not a case of allowing them, that, that sounds the wrong word, but just um, giving them the choice to do things in the way that they want to. Mm. Yeah, there is a lot about permission, and every podcast I use, the, use this word, uh, about people not knowing what they're allowed to do. Yes. Or yes. That what's okay for yeah. them to do. I think part of that family meeting, again, is encouraging them to ask, can we do this? Can we do that? Or making yes, suggestions, things yeah. that they may not have thought of. Mm. Yeah. So to anybody listening um, to this, who is organizing a funeral, definitely, you know, your time with your celebrant is a great time to ask all sorts of questions about yeah. what is possible. Yes. And yes. <clears throat> when you, when you have the time with the funeral director, maybe that's not so, uh, not so easy because there's so much other stuff to sort out. Yes, yeah, they have a great deal of, of detail to organise, um, mm. and of course, uh, they do rather a lot of services in a day sometimes. Yes, uh, whereas a celebrant obviously can do more than one in a day, but the funeral directors, I think, are, are uh, can be quite pushed for time. Yes, yes. Thank you for all of that, Sue. That's really helpful. You're welcome. What was your most unusual funeral? Uh, I think it would be um, the choice of music content was the most unusual. It turned out to be the longest funeral I'd ever done. Mm -hmm. um, and the lady who passed away was a, a classical pianist. Mm -hmm. And... 
Um, of course, she played a great deal through the children's lives. She wasn't particularly old when she passed away, and she played throughout the children's lives. And there were so many pieces of music that meant a great deal to not only her husband, but to the, the two children. Mm. And it, it, the predominant feature of that funeral service was the music. Right. More pieces of music than I've ever had in any other funeral. Um, mm. but it was absolutely delightful. And, and it, it was almost like you're listening to her at a recital. Oh. Which which was the effect that they wanted to achieve. Her final recital. Yeah. It, it was very, very special. It was he, very emotional. Gosh. Um, I had actually visited her before she passed away because she wanted, they'd chosen me to do the service and they knew that she was terminally ill. So I went and spent several hours with her one afternoon. Oh. Uh, talking about it and putting it together. So, of course, it made it um, more poignant for me too, because even though I'd only met her and known her for a few hours, we really connected. Mm. Um, so it was quite emotional, and hearing all that beautiful music was just lovely. Oh. That uh, other celebrants have described what a, a privilege it is to work with somebody before they die. Yes. Yes, it certainly is. They've made that choice that they want to put it all down on paper, but they want someone, such as a celebrant, who can pull it all together into a cohesive service for mm. them. Um, and some, with some of us, it's about having that element of control, if mm. you like. They want to know what's going to be yes. said, so they're going to write it themselves. Yes. Um, I have several um, ceremonies filed away for the appropriate time for people who've made that choice. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, I'm just, I'm just wondering about this from the perspective of those of us that are left behind. And, it, you know, if, if the person who's died has taken care of absolutely everything, what is the impact on us who are left behind to, to not be able to do some of that grief work around expressing the loss. There's a, there is a, there's a way around that because um, that happened quite recently where um, I'd done a, a funeral for a lovely lady and spent some time with her husband who subsequently passed away just a couple of months ago but had written everything down and left instructions that uh, the daughter was to contact me. Mm -hmm. Um so I went along to meet her and was presented with this service, but picked up on the fact that she felt um, as if she hadn't been able to say anything. Yeah. So we talked about it and we then included some extra things, not going against his wishes, because mm -hmm. knowing the gentleman just a little, and obviously with her being his daughter we knew that we weren't going against his wishes but it just allowed her to say her own few words and to, we added uh, again a couple of little stories that the, the 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 man was in the grenadier guards at the time of the coronation and it was all very exciting things and he was very modest right. so he hadn't included a lot about that 
so uh, me and the daughter who was also called Susan were able to sit down and, and add some extra things so mm. it's about again that tuning in are they feeling as if they've not had a chance to say anything um, do we feel from what we know uh, of what's already been written that there is margin to, to put a little extra in there you yes. have to judge each one i think and talk to the family mm. again you know if you're organizing a funeral and this is the situation <laughs> yeah. you know talk to your celebrant about you know your concerns and your needs and yes definitely you know celebrants are a creative accommodating bunch who well that's it yes it's that combination of being able to listen and tune in and, and really get what people are about, yeah. as well as being able to pull all those hastily scribbled notes into a service, into uh, the right format, yeah. uh, and, and to be able to cover everything in a short time as well. Yes. What was your most challenging funeral? Um, I think it, it, it may actually have been... Um, one where I walked into a family home and there were an awful lot of people all wanting to say a great deal and trying to manage that situation. Mm -hmm. and, but then they, a lot of what they were saying was the same, if that makes sense. So although I appear to have a lot of information, when I sat down to write, it was a challenge for me because, in actual fact, they hadn't said a great deal, even though they talked a mm. great deal. And that can be the nerves of the meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be the, the situation, the way that they're grieving. So um, I think that was the most challenging one, where you think you have a lot of information, but in actual fact, you don't. Right. And you need to find the right readings. Um, you need to find the right music just to make sure, again, that it's a service that does that person justice. Right. Hmm. And how did it go? It went fine. It went <laughs> fine. Yeah, right, right up towards sort of 11th hour, if you like, one of the sons said, actually, have changed my mind. I would like to do a reading. Mm. So that's nice for the people who are there that it isn't just my voice the whole time. Yeah. You know, uh, it's somebody else coming up to speak who um, obviously was much closer to the deceased than me. Mm. Um, and it's a different voice for them to listen to. Yeah. Um, and I think the only other very challenging situation I had, which has just sprung to mind, is when the I checked the Wesley system before the service and for some reason there was a glitch in the system mm. and it played the music in the wrong order oh. and you you can't just stop the music you you and you know i i turned the volume down and you know explained that what had happened and we let that piece of music play out because otherwise it's too stilted mm. but that's thinking on your feet really you just have to do that as a professional yes there's always going to be unexpected things on the day <laughs> most definitely especially when you have combinations of you know people not at, at their most yes 
yeah. resourceful, traveling long distances. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And all the time they're they're on their way. They're thinking about what they're going to. Yes, exactly. They're not not looking forward to it. And yet, by the end of it, hopefully, the work is done. Where they're thinking, you know, what we've just we've just done, Nan proud. Yes. And there's nothing more we can do. No. No, they've 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 done the right thing. They've talked about. Her. They've celebrated her life. Yes. Um, and so, it's brought them all together because yeah. just by the fact that, that that funerals do bring people together, provide support for the family. Um, you know. It, it is all about focusing on deceased life, but it is also very much about supporting the family, not just on that day, but in the months and years to come. Yes. As anniversaries and things roll round, you know, it does hit people uh, quite regularly. Um, they're reminded. So they need ongoing support, not just on that afternoon in that brief time in the chapel. Mm. Mm, very true. So you've given us quite a few tips <laughs> during the course <laughs> of this podcast, especially around, you know, time and asking the celebrant about what's possible. Um, have you got any other advice for anybody who might be organizing a funeral right now who's listening to this? Um, ask questions. Uh, they can be very much caught up in their grief, and, and that, of course that's completely understandable. But um, if their loved one was not a churchgoer and having a church funeral doesn't sit comfortably with them, people are not always aware that the alternative is not simply just to bring the minister out to the chapel at the crematorium. Um, there is the availability of a celebrant uh, who falls between the two where they are uh, their job their calling is to go and spend time talking to the family uh, spending time finding out about the loss of the loved one and who they were and reassuring the family that the right service the appropriate service will be written and delivered for their loved one but they need to ask the question you know can i have a celebrant can i choose mm. to have a celebrant will that person come and spend time and talk to me yeah. um, because i have a great deal of contact with the family even though it's very concentrated um, it's over a short time frame often just a matter of uh, maybe a week 10 days sometimes a little longer so it is quite concentrated into a short time, but we have um, ongoing contact from that first meeting up until the day of the service. Right. And at, at which point uh, during that time, they can email or phone me about anything. Right. And, and have the peace of mind as well that if they've suddenly remembered a lovely story they want to include or they've changed their mind about such and such being mentioned, that nothing is set in stone about that service until, set, let's say, the afternoon before, giving me a chance to adapt it if need be. Mm. So they have that open contact. They have someone they can go, they can talk to or phone up or email uh, right up to the day before. That's really helpful to know. 
Um, and that, yes, that's very much an aspect of the celebrant's work is to, you know, to be there as a resource to the family. Yes, very much. It, it's a short and intense relationship, yeah. but it is a, 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 an all-encompassing for that service, for that time. Um, for the service that the celebrant provides. Not, I'm not talking about the actual crematoria service. The service we provide as a professional yeah. is it's all-encompassing during that time as a, a support, net, not network, uh, a support medium, if you like, yeah. through to the day itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that, Sue. It's really good to know that a celebrant can be a resource that's available, as you say, during this short but intense period. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? Um, only that I am passionate about making people aware that there is choice when it comes to how they arrange and organize the, the send-off, if you like, for their mm-hmm. loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if that person they've lost was not a churchgoer, and so it would go against their morals or beliefs to have a church funeral, or even to bring a religious minister out to the chapel at a crematoria, um, then they need to know that there is another way. Right. And, feel very strongly about that that mm-hmm. um, if more people were aware that you can choose to have a celebrant because then you have complete freedom of choice as to how the service is written and conducted i think that's important as we all have a right to choice don't we yes we do thank you very much for that it's been great to speak with you sue thank you so much um good luck with all you do It's been a pleasure to talk to you too. Thanks very much for your time. You're very welcome. Take care. Thank you.